You know, there's uh, Batman and Robin, there's Lewis and Clark, Peanut Butter and Jelly, Chase and Sanborn. And next, next week, uh, we're going to be studying two of the uh, least known such pairings in the Bible. That's Bezalel and Oholiab. I'm just going to give you one week ahead. Uh, you can do your research this week. Bezalel and Oholiab. Um, in this series that we're currently in, we are studying some of the Bible's least well-known Bible characters, kind of those D-list celebrities in our Bibles. And like last week when I was telling you, we've all, we all know the name Peter or David or Joseph or Daniel or Mary or Ruth, but we don't know Bezalel and Oholiab probably or Rob Shaka. You guys know who Rob Shaka is? No. <laughs> I uh, originally thought about entitling this series Bible Characters You've Never Heard Of, but then I didn't want all the emails saying, I knew that one. (laughs) So I said, Bible Characters You've Heard Less About. Let's do that. I know you guys know your Bibles well. This week, though, we are going to be studying the life of a man named Uzziah, and he is one of the kings of Judah. And my guess is if you've read your Bibles and have been around for a while, you may have heard the name Uzziah, but he's not one of those kings that gets a lot of press. First, let me put his reign in context. After Solomon, we all have heard of Solomon, came his son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was not an effective ruler, and as a result, the kingdom of Israel split into two halves, the northern kingdom of Israel comprised of ten tribes of Israel, split off from Rehoboam and the two southern tribes, which constituted the the kingdom of Judah. In the Old Testament, we are given the names of 46 men who were kings over Israel and Judah. And some of those names are famous, like David. Some of them are infamous, like Ahab. But most of them are really not that well known to us. We know there are a lot of kings, some of them were good, most of them were bad, but the details of their lives are kind of fuzzy. Well, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to be in the 26th chapter of 2 Chronicles this morning. And there in that chapter, the 26th chapter of 2 Chronicles, we're going to find the story of one of those kind of fuzzy kings, as I might call them. Kings that we know the name maybe, we know they're out there, but we don't know much about them. King Uzziah was the 10th king to sit on the throne of the southern kingdom of Judah since it split with Israel. Uzziah ascended to the throne in 792 BC at the age of 16. And he would go on to reign for 52 years until he handed over the throne to his own son, Jotham, in 739 BC. It would be one of the longest and most prosperous periods in the history of Judah. Uzziah was a contemporary of some other well-known Old Testament figures. For example, Uzziah and Jonah would have known each other. Jonah, the one who was swallowed by a fish. They were together at the same time on the same scene. He was also a contemporary of Amos and Isaiah. And just to place his reign in the context of everything else that was going on at the time around the globe, it was during the 52-year reign of Uzziah that the first Olympic Games would be held in Greece. 
Homer began pinning his work, the Iliad and the Odyssey. The Greek city-state of Sparta first adopted their famous system of laws, which would establish the Senate and codify their warrior ethic. In Europe, bears and wolves roamed the forest along the Seine River where Paris would one day stand. And Poland, Poland was a frontier almost uninhabited, a virgin primeval wilderness. Rome did not yet exist, but according to the legend of Rome, it was during the years of his reign that Romulus and Remus were born, and if it can be believed, raised by wolves. In China, the Zhao dynasty, the longest in Chinese history, would collapse when King Yu was killed in battle. In Africa, Uzziah's reign would witness the invasion of Egypt by the Nubian people. Four Egyptian pharaohs would come and go during Uzziah's 52 years on the throne. In the Americas, Stone Age tribes of South America were erecting stone monuments. And in a rustic county in northern Maine, the sun shined, the snow fell, the river a rustic flowed between the banks, crowded by ancient forests. And who knows if anybody was here. But if they did, were here, I'm sure they were just really nice people. <laughs> it's, been, it's, been, <laughs> it's been my experience that that's how a rustic county people are. But in Judah... The story of King Uzziah was unfolding. We pick this up at verse 1, chapter 26, in the book of 2 Chronicles. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah, after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper." He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbael and against the Munites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in the Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands. And then interestingly it says, for he loved the soil." Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power. 
to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. We'll stop right there for the moment. The 52 years of Uzziah's reign were the most prosperous that the kingdom had known since the golden days of Solomon. By anyone's standards, he was an incredible leader, a great king. Uzziah was a brilliant general who believed in peace through strength. Although very young, he commanded the armies of Judah in a bold series of wars against their enemies in every direction, and he prevailed against all of them. He expanded the kingdom's territory, tore down the walls of enemy city, destroyed or reduced their capacity to make war on his people. He built new cities and a network of fortifications in strategic locations all along the frontier. He was organized in structuring and provisioning a large standing army, a rarity in Israel's tradition. He was a gifted administrator, always thinking ahead and prepared. He thought outside the box. He had a knack for innovation. He improved the defenses of Jerusalem by making these machines that we read about, invented by skillful men. They were on the towers and the corners. Nobody's ever seen their like before. He was also a success economically. All societies in the ancient Near East were agrarian, and the backbone of Judah's wealth was its farmers. Verse 10 tells us that he loved the soil and that he did much to expand, improve, and modernize the nation's agricultural activities. My sense is that when I study these ancient kings, some of them were good at one thing or you know, they really kind of were like a primarily a warrior king, but maybe it would have struggled in relating to the farmers. But Uzziah was really kind of a renaissance man. He could talk farming with the farmers. He could talk invention with the inventors. He could talk about administration and military tactics. He was a, really a guy with some width and breadth to his experience and knowledge and expertise. And the picture we get after reading the first half of that chapter is that during Uzziah's reign, there was a chicken in every pot. Everything he put his hand to succeeded. The nation was doing well. It was on the right track. His approval ratings were through the roof. And his fame spread far and wide. And to what did he owe his unparalleled success? Uzziah had received the best advice possible from a prophet of the Lord named Zechariah. We read about that in verse 5. He said, As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Orson Welles once said, If you want a happy ending, that depends, of course, on where you stop your story. And honestly, I wish the story of Uzziah ended at verse 15. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Do, do, do. <laughs> till he was strong. But that last part, till he was strong, that's a sad bit of foreshadowing, right? We pick it up at verse 16. 
But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Boy, that is a story as old as time itself. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah. That, I'll stop right here for a second. That word withstood, it's not a commonly used word in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word, amad, and it means basically to stand up, to take a stand. I think this would have been a difficult moment. This is Uzziah. <laughs> And he's gone and he's doing a forbidden thing. And then nobody's used to telling Uzziah, you can't do that. That's not how this works. Uzziah really had to kind of self-police. But in this moment, they had to stand up. They had to amad. They had to say, this will not stand. We got to do something. And they did. I really uh, love brave people. I aspire to be one myself. Sometimes I fall short. But I love stories about brave and courageous people, and really the brave ones are the ones who went in and said, Uzziah, you can't do this. Tough conversation to have with a king, I'm sure. They withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote, and Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, he is a leper." And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Now, first of all, here's the reason why I think we need to study the life of King Uzziah. First of all, it's, it's in the Bible. So God wouldn't have given it to us if we didn't need to spend some time with it, understand it, think about it, apply it to our lives. All God's word is for us, is meant to be lived. And we need to spend a little time with Uzziah. The second reason is this. Um, the advice that Zechariah gave to Uzziah is also good advice for us. If we want God to prosper the work of State Road, we obviously have to know less true that we have to be a people who seek the Lord, seek to submit to him. And now here's my hope. Here's my hope, and I, I pray this with every desperate fiber of my pastor being, <laughs> is that God would help us in a mighty way here at State Road Church, just as he helped Uzziah. It's the same God, and we're calling out to the same God. God, help us, help us to do mighty things here. 
I mean, Uzziah was a king who moved aggressively against the enemy. And we're called here to invade the realm of darkness, to seize and destroy and tear down the strongholds of the enemy that surround us, to expand the kingdom of God, to be inventive, to love the things that form the backbone of our national life, as it were, as a church. To be a people who love nurturing and tendering, tending the soils of discipleship and all that stuff. I could keep going and going and going. But I see in Uzziah a picture, maybe, of the church. And I, we really desperately need God's help. If we think we can do something without prayer, it's the same as thinking we can do it without God. And if we're to take John 15, 5 seriously, where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, we can't do anything without him. That's what's needed. However, and it's my belief that this is happening even now at State Road Advent Christian Church. I think God is doing it now, here. I think he's doing wonderful things in the midst. When we are helped (laughs) and we become strong as a church, once he has prospered us, there is a danger in the life of King Uzziah Because once he became strong, he forgot about God. So we need to have this conversation. I think any church, any Christian does. We want to see God do amazing things here in Aristic County through his church, through our church. Not just through State Road, but through his people. That will come as we seek God and put him first. But when it does come, we need to pay, pay mind to Uzziah. Uzziah is an interesting case when you think about it. There are many kings in the Bible who fell away through disobedience from God's best for them and for the nation. But none of them did it quite like Uzziah. When all those other kings made God angry, it was usually because they openly worshipped false gods. But like our study of Jephthah last week, what Uzziah did was worship the right God in a wildly wrong kind of way. His worship of the one true God was done irreverently and in a way that focused on his own self. He certainly knew that only the priests who had been set apart and consecrated for the task could approach the altar of God. In fact, in Numbers 18.7, it makes it plain that if anyone besides a priest did so, they would be put to death. So what was Uzziah thinking? Why would he do such a thing as this? Verse 16 blames the conduct of Uzziah on pride. It wasn't ignorance, but arrogance that caused him to do this. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said, The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is complete anti-God state of mind. And as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, according to C.S. Lewis, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And this is what happened to Uzziah. He rose to such a height that he just looked down and stopped looking up. 
The man who held the highest place in the kingdom is brought so low that anyone who had his health, even beggars and criminals, would not have traded places with him. The man in whose presence it was once an honor to stand is reduced to such a condition that it would have been an extreme act of kindness for anyone to be with him at all. He was an untouchable who would live out the rest of his days in a separate house under quarantine, barred from any role in national life and contact with loved ones and unable to worship God in the temple. Basically, he got coronavirus. Too soon? Okay. <laughs> the smattering of polite, nervous laughter. Okay. <laughs> Even in death, he was buried in a separate location from the other kings because he was a leper. This was a sudden and humiliating reversal for Uzziah from great king to pariah and outcast. And at the base of it all, the cause of it all, was this monster called pride. As Proverbs 16:18 said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But how exactly does pride work in a human being to make them take such destructive steps? Let me just list five ways, or four or five ways, that pride worked in Uzziah's life to bring this about. This is how bad, I don't actually know if I have four or five points here. Some of you are like, I hope it's four, I hope it's four, I hope it's four. And then at the end, I want to suggest a few ways that we can avoid making the same mistake. The first is this. Pride is blinding. It causes self-deception. The spiritual blindness of pride leads to all kinds of unwise actions. The proud person doesn't see where their misguided steps are taking them. And it's clear that Uzziah was blinded by his pride. He became corrupted by his own success into believing that he was strong. When it says that God helped Uzziah until he was strong, it is not saying that once Uzziah could ride on his own, God took the training wheels off. It's not like, okay, Uzziah, I'll help you out until you're fully formed as a king. That's not what it's saying. He's saying that once Uzziah became strong, he fell prey to the poisonous self-deception that he no longer needed God's help. Galatians 6.3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now that sounds like very harsh language. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing. How many of you as parents would tell your kids, you're nothing? <laughs> Doesn't sound quite right, does it? Well, I don't think that's exactly what's being said here, but remember those words I just quoted from John 15, 5. I am the vine, you're the branches, apart from me you can do nothing. In other words, if you think you're a somebody, if you think you can get something done when really you can't do it without me, you're just deceiving yourself. You really are. And the whole point of creation, the whole point of the church is that God would be glorified in it. And so we celebrate our need for God. Need is the very fuel of worship. You, if you cannot worship God, you cannot worship God if you feel no particular need for him. You can't do it. And so we revel in our abject poverty in the presence of such an abundantly generous, powerful God. I revel in my neediness, or I should, 
I think this is very much the spirit of what Paul said when he said, I, I, I rejoice in my weakness, for when I am weak, when I am, yeah, that's right, I, get, <laughs> I almost just strayed into a bushism right there. When I am weak, then I am strong, right? This is the, this is the spirit of the thing. When I die to self-sufficiency, and I lean into the all-sufficient grace and power of God, then I understand strength. I understand power. This is where it's coming from. Uzziah was helped till he was strong, and when he was strong, he became self-deceived, thought he could go it on his own. I got it from here, God. The second thing we see is that humility receives correction with gratitude, but pride bristles when it's criticized. I think you can make the case that what really got Uzziah in trouble was not that he transgressed God's law. That's bad enough. Don't get me wrong. I think that God would have dealt with that also. But I think the moment when it really went bad for Uzziah is that he responded angrily and unrepentantly when he was confronted by the priests. It says, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead. In other words, the priests confronted him, and I think there was a moment where grace, this could have been ended as a story of grace. If he said, oh my goodness, thank you. <laughs> You're right, I've way overstepped. Forgive me, God. There may have still been consequences, but I think this is a moment where it could have been avoided, these horrible consequences, but not so. It says he's holding the censer in his hand. I don't know why the Bible gives us that detail, but I almost think that he menaced them with it, like he gets angry, like he's gonna do something with the censer in his hand. And at that very moment, when he bristles pridefully in anger, leprosy breaks out. That's the moment when it happens. It was the unrepentant anger at the priest's rebuke that triggered the leprosy. And again, I'm so impressed with these priests who decided they were gonna confront the great man Uzziah and his sin. Boy, that is hard to do. I think sometimes churches are too reluctant to follow the example of these guys. When a big shot, a pastor maybe, is throwing his weight around in a church in ways that corrupt worship and are displeasing to God, uh, God's people need to confront Uzziah's for Uzziah's good when they emerge. The proud person begins to believe that nothing is closed or off limits to them, that they can do no wrong. In turn, any who contradict them are wrong. Note how when Uzziah was young, verse 4 and 5 tells us that he heeded his father's example and listened to the counsel of Zechariah. Those are marks of humility. There's a submitted yieldedness that describes his posture towards others in those chapters, and that's wholly missing in the last half of the chapter. Because now he is poisoned with pride, he, needs, he heeds no one, needs no one. He bristles indignantly when the priests try to rebuke him. And really the question I need to ask myself in my own heart is how do I respond to criticism? Better yet, better than asking myself, ask your spouse. They can give you the straight dope skinny. Don't ask Sarah though. <laughs> how do I typically respond to criticism? Do I receive it with meekness? Do I get angry? Do I play what about you-ism? <laughs> I 
I think it's a good diagnostic tool for detecting the presence of pride in our hearts. Are you a difficult person to disagree with? Am I? The third thing we see here in Uzziah is that pride brings opposition from God. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oh, I wish Uzziah had just responded humbly when he was rebuked. What would have happened? God gives grace to the humble. God doesn't suffer long with those who exalt themselves, especially with those who misappropriate worship for the purposes of self-exaltation. God is rightly jealous for his own glory. And he actively opposes any who try to make themselves equal with him. We can define pride, and I've defined it on other Sundays. This is my own working definition of pride. Pride is a grasping desire for the place of God. The right object of all worship is to glorify God. But Uzziah, in this moment, I think, is seeking to misappropriate worship to exalt himself. Most likely, Uzziah was aware that it was the custom of neighboring countries, most notably Egypt, for the king to fill a priestly role in making offerings to their gods. In Egypt, the pharaoh would have played a priestly function, and no doubt dignitaries, ambassadors were in Jerusalem, and whenever, whenever Uzziah had to sit in the audience, just like any other mouth breather, Bobby Bag of, donut, Bobby Bag of Donuts, Joe Schmo, and submit to the leadership of the priests in this part of national life, it irked him, I think, probably. The Egyptian ambassador is right there. How do I look compared to Pharaoh when I'm forbidden to do this thing? I think this, the Bible doesn't say this. I'm going out on my limb here, but I think that may have been part of what was going on. It's dangerous for me to get beyond the word of God and interpret it that way. The Bible only says it was due to pride, but maybe that's what was going on. Whatever was his specific motive, pride was at the root of it. So his show of offering incense was not done to glorify God, but to glorify himself. And the result is that the man who was wonderfully helped over the span of 52 years was made helpless when he sought to lay his hands, seize the place of God for himself. Fifty-two years destroyed in less than an hour. And a church can be destroyed in the same way. A home, a marriage, a ministry, a career. So again, we need to pay close attention to this cat, Uzziah. This church has been wonderfully helped down through the years. But, there's that but. Pride makes a person a fool. Romans 1.22 says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And what's so striking when we compare the first half of chapter 26 to the second is that in the first, we see a man of great wisdom, and in the second, we see a fool. What ingredient was introduced to magically transform the wise King Uzziah into a fool? Well, we've already named it. It was pride. It was pride that convinced Satan of the incredibly foolish notion that he could seize the throne of the Almighty. 
It was pride that convinced Adam and Eve that it would be better to become a god than to continue trusting in God. It was pride that convinced Uzziah that he could defy God's law, make worship terminate on his own exaltation, and get away with it. But what do we do with this? I personally am tempted to despair when I take a look at everything that the Bible says about pride, and here's why. Pride is blinding. How can a person see that they're ensnared in pride? What can they do about it? If pride makes a man a fool, how can he get the wisdom necessary to pull out of his nosedive of prideful self-destruction? He can't see it. He doesn't have the wisdom to respond to it if he did. If pride bristles at a righteous rebuke, how can we get the humility to listen when we're drunk on pride? So I am tempted at first to despair. Pride blinds. I can't see. Pride makes a fool. I lack the wisdom. Pride bristles. Where do I get the humility to respond correctly? What do you do with a prideful person when they're blind, foolish, and bristling? It's a good question. Let me just begin right now by offering this. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. I think one of the great wise prayers David prayed shows a remarkable humility. It says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you see what David is confessing in that prayer? He's saying, I may not see it. I may be blind to the reality of sin in my life that you see, but I'm blind to. Why would he be blind to it? I would submit to you because pride may be there. David is saying, God, search me, know my heart, test me, see if there's anything, and then show me, <laughs> lead me in a better way. I may not see it. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer to God? Maybe Josh Tate struggles with pride today, and maybe my prayer ought to be not about the sin I know about, but God, show me the sin I'm blind to. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Remember, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And maybe the first step we can take is just by asking God, please, in your mercy and grace, show me if this is me. I've spent some time in your word today. I've become familiar with Uzziah. I've seen how blinding pride is. God, is that me? That's a good prayer to pray. Show me. The other thing is this, in respect to the, faith, and the idea of bristling, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceit, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Uh, I think if you have ever known somebody who bristles when they are criticized, and I'm willing to bet because we all live among other human beings on planet Earth, you know people like this. His name's probably Josh Tate in your mind. <laughs> They are hard to talk to about anything, right? And most of the time, you just don't go there at all. What's the point, right? It's Uzziah. 
There's no point even bringing it up. It's not going to go well. The advice I give you is just let sleeping dogs lie. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Don't go in there like Azariah and say, this is not right what you're doing. Because he's going to bristle. It's going to get ugly. You're going to regret it. This is the wisdom I tell myself in my own heart all the time. And most of us buy it. Most of us do. We let it go. What would have happened if Uzziah, if they just kind of stood there quietly? I don't know. I don't know. But my guess is the curse that fell on Jephthah would have fallen more broadly on everyone who was there. And I think in church life, one of the hardest, most difficult things to do is to, in love, be the kind of friends who are willing to say, this isn't right. This isn't what's best. Guys, I am aware of my own fragility to say this. I need friends like Azariah. <laughs> I need friends who will say to me, this, the way you're going about this is totally wrong-headed. Or it's even not what's closest to God's heart. This is a wrong thing. I think we all need those kind of friends in our lives, and it's so hard. Now, here's the thing. I cannot guarantee you that if you do this brave thing, it will go well. I cannot. And really, it didn't go well here. Everything they were afraid would happen started to happen. Uh, it looked like he was probably, reading between the lines, menacing them with an article of worship. <laughs> he was bristling. He was angry. It was obvious. It was uncomfortable. And then God struck Uzziah with leprosy. Didn't go well particularly, but God was glorified. God was honored. His laws were upheld as something worth pursuing and clinging to. So one of the things I think if I would say to you is this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Uh, when I'm talking crazy, I don't need a lot of well-meaning but cowardly people to go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not helpful to me. I need people who will say, speak up even if there's a catch in their voice, even if their voice cracks and it's awkward and weird. Even if I respond poorly, I need you to be those kinds of friends. The cause of this church, the glory of God, needs us to be those kinds of people also. All right, lastly this. Pride makes a person into a fool. Uh, my dad used to use the example, I've used it a lot, I think I've probably used it from up here, but he used to say that your hearts and minds, this is what he would tell me and my brothers and my sister when I was growing up, your heart and your mind are just exactly like a garden. And God has planted good things in there, uh, but you need to know that there are weeds that, of error that are constantly growing in your heart and your mind. Just as soon as you walk away from a sermon or a book or reading the Bible, those weeds of error start, error start to sprout. And they will grow to fruition. They will bear fruit in your life if you are not constantly taking the hoe of God's word and chopping it at the root. You have to constantly bring God's word to bear on the sin in your life. And if you don't do this, if you don't take God's word like a hoe, 
and apply it to your heart and mind regularly. Anybody who gardens knows. You can, in my, at home, you can almost hear stuff growing. It's, pretty, it's like, we only have a little bit of time. It's Aristic County. It is trying to grow as fast as it can. And that's how error works in your heart. And you walk away from your garden, you come back the next day, stuff's growing up that wasn't there the day before. And this is true. And pride is going to grow in your heart. It's going to bear fruit. At some point, what was growing in Uzziah could have been confronted by a well-timed application of God's word to his thinking. And it just wasn't there. And so this, I come back to the same lesson that we arrived at at the end of our study of Jephthah last week. Are you applying the hoe of God's word to your heart and mind regularly? If not, I'm telling you, that stuff's going to grow. It is going to take over. Your heart, your mind will be an unruly, scratchy patch of a garden where bad stuff's growing, good stuff is being choked out. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. These are the things Uzziah needed, and I don't think he was getting. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So in closing... Here's what I want you to do in response to this morning's message, in in response to what we have seen in the story of King Uzziah. I want you to get alone with God, and I want you to pray that prayer out of Psalm 139, 23 through 24 with him. God, search me, know me, test me. Is this me? Lead me in the way everlasting. I may be blind to things that you see in me, Please, in your mercy and grace, show me if I am growing into a monster of an Uzziah. Second, allow godly people access to your life. Maybe be such a person for someone else. Maybe right now, as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind a a fellow Christian who is straying into patterns of thought or behavior that you know to be sinful, the Lord has brought it to your attention, to your conscience multiple times. You have not spoken up because you are afraid it will go poorly. Pray about that. Seek an opportunity to be an Azariah and to do the difficult thing of speaking. I don't like conflict, I certainly don't like contentiousness. I'm not calling you to be contentious. I am just saying we should not let one another wander off to destruction and into error. And then lastly, the thing I want you to do in response to Uzziah this week is to apply the hoe of God's word to the weedy garden of our hearts. Commit this week Uh, to spending time in God's word as you pray and as you put yourself in a good position to hear good things from good friends who love the Lord. And maybe God will be merciful in the midst of all that obedience to help us and protect us from straying as Uzziah did. Let me pray. Father, search me and know me. 
Search and know my friends, God. Know our anxious thoughts. Father, see if there is any offensive way in us. See it, God, because maybe we don't. God, is there some way in which I'm living or thinking or operating that is rooted in pride and I just really can't even see it? I have a big Josh-sized blind spot in my life. Father, see that, show it to me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, I thank you for good friends. I thank you for friends, Lord, who sometimes encourage me and build me up, who tell me positive things about what they see you doing in me. But I thank you also for those friends who come to me with a difficult word. Father, I pray that in those moments, you would give me and my friends here the humility to receive that. And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that teaches, that corrects and rebukes, and that trains us in righteousness. Father, your word is living. It's the only book I know that reads me when I open it. And Father, I ask you, Lord, as we open your book this week, that you would help us to see ourselves more truly in it as we see you better and better. Father, this week and last week were two cautionary tales, stories about men who were mightily helped by you but still sought to worship you, the one right true God, in a very wrong way. Father, I pray that you would save us from that sin. Father, I look forward to next week when we take on Bezalel and Oholiab. Father, I pray that you would uh, move with power in the midst of that time too, and God, as we Seek Bezalel and Oholiab to learn about him in your word this week. Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would be with us there as we're doing that. We love you, God. We trust you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.